Whew, that one scared me for a second there. Got really dark, and then all of a sudden I saw, hey, not personal, man, not personal. Hey, guys, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey to our crew watching online, traveling around this weekend, as so many people are. Uh, you guys ever just have, like, one of those weeks? Like, you're just exhausted by the time you get to the end of it, because all week long you've taken one step forward, and then it was two steps back, or you took one step forward, and then all of a sudden a step sideways somehow, right? Like, it just hits you again and again. I've had that kind of happen to me here this week. It's been, uh, been a week, it's been a week and a half, and as I was kind of thinking through all this stuff and kind of wallowing a little bit, uh, it reminded me... Uh, of the summer that I graduated from high school. See, that summer, my dad decided that he was going to have his shoulders fixed. He had two bad shoulders that were uh, just bugging him from wear and tear from back when he was uh, younger and playing sports and things like that and just age and everything. And so he just decided, hey, now's the time. I'm going to go get surgery done on both of my shoulders. And Everything was going to go well. One, his first shoulder, he went in in July, and it was arthroscopic, so just two little cuts on there, and they went in, cleaned everything out, patched a few things up, good as new. Man, by August, he, he called his doctor up and said, hey, let's do the second one. Like, I feel so good. My shoulder has never felt this good. If I can get the other one feeling this good, it's going to be perfect. Like, let's go. And his, his doctor told him, hey, hold on, hold on. Like, your body needs time to recover from a procedure. It's still surgery. That's kind of a big deal. So like, hold off a little bit. We'll come back in November, but your body needs time to heal between procedures. And so he said, okay, okay, I'll be patient. I'll wait, I'll wait. November comes along and it's time to get his second shoulder done. And he's actually pretty excited about it because he knows like four weeks from now, he's gonna feel really, really good about himself. His body's gonna feel so much better than it has in years. The problem was it was not easy for him. In fact, they found out as they began to do the arthroscopic procedure that they had to cut his whole shoulder open to take a look at it more, that everything was much more extensive that was going on there, and it was going to be a bigger procedure. And so they told him, hey, um, this is going to be a, a longer recovery for you at this point in time. Like, we had to actually do a huge cut, and he has a massive scar and everything there. And hey, that's a bummer. Like, I was hoping I could be ready to play golf later on. But you know what? Not a problem. Do my rehab. Do what I need to do. I'll be good to go in the spring. A week later, he's got an infection sets in in his shoulder here uh, and all sorts of issues that are going on. So they do an emergency procedure to come in and try and clean everything out that needed to be done. In fact, it was so bad uh, that they were worried after the procedure that he was going to lose his arm because the infection was growing so massive and spreading all over the place on there. And so they put him uh, to an infectious disease doctor and said, hey, what do you think needs to be done? And so they put all this really strong medicine into his body to try and knock that down, but it wasn't working. He actually had to go back and have two more surgeries. He had this huge lump that had grown on the back of his arm that you could just see dangling and hanging that was really hard. And, and so they had all these issues. And so they opened him back up again and they dug everything out that needed to be there, got rid of the infection and said, okay, now rest, recover. It's gonna be okay. A month later, his shoulder completely freezes. He can't move his arm anymore. All the, everything that had happened, all that's going on in there. And so they go back in and they cut his shoulder open again and look in there and try and move it around to see what needs to be done and say, okay, now rest. Let your body heal a little bit more. So he heals for a few more months, goes back to the doctor. They take a look at it and they said, hey, you know what? It's not doing what we wanted to do. We're gonna have to go in here in a few weeks and we gotta replace your entire shoulder. We're going to place everything that's being done here in your shoulder. In a six-month period, he'd already had five surgeries. And now a month later, he's getting ready to have his sixth surgery on that shoulder. So they go in, they take out his old shoulder, and, and by doing so, they cut muscles in the front, and they cut muscles in the back. And between atrophy and the muscles they've had to cut, 
He's basically lost muscle power in the front and back of his shoulder, just completely wrecked. And I mean, if you remember, this was an arthroscopic procedure. He just had the other one done, and now he's six surgeries in, and they tell him, hey, there's going to be some rehabilitation. And, and by rehabilitation, they mean two and a half years of every day going to see a physical therapist who's going to work on his arm. And during that time with all the medication they put him on, uh, it messed up together, and he's suffering from depression and anxiety attacks. And I am in college getting phone calls from my siblings telling me how hard life is for mom and how hard life is for dad, and how it's affecting our family, and how it's affecting their business, and uh, he, all the stories of just how much pain and agony is going on. In fact, if you were to ask him today, he would say the biggest regret he probably has is getting that shoulder surgery done. That if he could do it again, he would have just lived with the original pain, and yet, in spite of all that, he learned something incredible about the human body. See, we're starting a series this week. It's just this week and next week, only two weeks that we're calling Better Together. And we're gonna work through the importance of what it means to be connected to one another. See, here at North Point, you've heard us talk a few times, but we like to say that North Point has two guardrails that we constantly go back to. One is the importance of scripture, and the other is the unity of believers. So at any time, if we're teaching, if we're talking, if we're planning, whatever we're doing, we try to bump into those guardrails. Hey, is this what the Bible says over here? Are we getting along and connecting to one another over here? And we kind of bounce and forth, back and forth between those two to make sure we're staying in line with what we need to do because we have a high value on knowing and on understanding the word of God. And even though there are things that we may see differently from one another, where it's on staff or just all of us together, we may see things a little different. We don't allow those things to become a hindrance or to stop us from pursuing Jesus, no matter what they may be. And we value this because the Bible tells us of the importance of being connected together. In fact, it was Paul, who's, who's an early church missionary, he's planted churches all over in his lifetime. And, and if you read the New Testament, there's a very good chance you've read some of Paul's writings because he wrote a ton in the New Testament. But one of the letters that he wrote was to the church in Corinth here. And he's stressing to them the importance of being connected together. See, he had planted this church with two people named Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and a wife. And these two believers had spent time together in Corinth, about a year and a half, just planning this church, working, investing, connecting, telling people about Jesus, telling them about the gospel, telling them about the power of God. And then they move on to other cities. And so they write letters back. And as they're writing letters back and forth with the church in Corinth, they see that they're struggling with division and with sexual immorality and just this like general social snobbery amongst one another. They were struggling with the, all the ideas of other religions and the pagan worship that was all around them. And they just had this general lack of unity because of social status amongst people in the church. And, and 1 Corinthians is actually probably the second letter that Paul wrote to the church. We don't have the first one. Um, at all. And so we just kind of can pick up bits and pieces by reading the second letter of what Paul may have said to the church initially. And, and now he's kind of responding to him here. Uh, and what it, he's trying to help them understand what does it look like to follow Jesus? And he's really trying to get them to understand this idea of the unity of believers, of this idea that we're connected together. And so we're going to spend most of our time this morning uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible, if you get the North Point app, as we've already talked about, this is a great time to open that up. Right there says this week's talk. There'll be a few notes, the verses, all sorts of things to follow along. You can submit questions that uh, we're going to do a podcast 
later on today, so submit that question in and we'll be able to answer it or just ignore it if it's too difficult. So there you go. Um, it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. It's okay. I'll answer your question, I promise, right? Uh, Paul starts this chapter out here talking about spiritual gifting. And he's talking about how there are many, many gifts out there that the Spirit gives us, but they're all rooted in the Spirit of God. And they're all given to us by the Spirit of God according to his will and what he wants done. Basically, it's this idea that God in his sovereignty has decided who is going to be gifted how, and that really all of the gifting that he gives out is for the benefit of the church. And then Paul kind of tags onto this idea uh, by this talking points about the unity amongst believers in the church here. So uh, follow along here, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, is where we're going to start. It says this, it says, for as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul's kind of kicking this point off here with an analogy for the church in Corinth. And he's basically telling the church, this body of believers who, who knows and loves Jesus, he's saying, hey, you guys are very similar to the human body. That the body of believers, the church, can be thought of as a human body. That both have lots of parts and lots of functions, but they're one body held together. Now, according to my deep, 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 deep Googling research this week, uh, I found out that the body has 11 different systems, things like skeletal, nervous, muscular, with 78 different organs, tissues, kidney, brain, and then a ton of subsets within those organs. And that if you actually break it down and start clicking on all the links and looking at all the different pieces and parts and how they fit together, like, in the body is complex, so complex. There's so many different systems and moving parts inside of it, all functioning together to keep your body moving, to keep your body alive, that every single part is playing a goal with the, or playing a role with the goal of keeping you alive, keeping you functioning, keeping you thriving. And that's what Paul says, the church is like a complex body where everybody plays a role with the goal of, of glorifying God and just caring for one another. He goes on in verse 14. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were single members, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts and yet one body. And this is really about diversity and gifting in the body of the church. And Paul says that all because a foot isn't a hand, it doesn't negate it as a valuable member of the body here. And to say, hey, look, if you were just made up of nothing but eyes, like you'd have great vision but your hearing would be terrible, right? We all have a unique role together as the church, and, and here's the big thing, we need each other to work the ways we were designed to work. We need a diversity of gifts and backgrounds and ideas and preferences and viewpoints and so much more 
to be at our best. Like the human body was designed with, with multiples, right? We have multiple ears, multiple fingers, multiple lungs, multiple uh, hair. Some of us have more multiples than others right there. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's not all made up of just one or two parts. Not only would that look a little weird and like totally change dating apps or things like that for sure, but it would be extremely limited for us. And it would make things at least harder to function and harder to thrive in life. Look, here's the thing. In a similar way, we don't need a church full of Jakes. If my wife was here, she would be saying, amen, yes, absolutely, right? She's helping out in kids and I can hear her faintly in the distance, right? We don't need a church full of Jakes. What we need is a church full of Jakes and Tammies and Esthers and Duanes and Chucks and maybe even a Rick or two, right? <laughs> Look, we need Spartans and Buckeyes and fans of other teams, okay? <laughs> we need Apple and Android, and yes, we need your flip phone as well. We need Democrats, Republicans, Green, and Libertarians. We need Calvinists, Arminians, and Confused. We need blue-collar, white-collar, and pajamas that are working from home. We need step, foster, and single parents. We need toddlers and teenagers and young adults. We need cheaper by the dozen. We need empty nesters, and we need rock star grandparents. We need so much more of that. And most of all, we need you. We need you. You are the body. You are the church. You have a function. You have a role. The church is made up of a bunch of people from various backgrounds and preferences and experiences and walks of life, all moving towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, where we are committed to Jesus and following Jesus and changed by Jesus and fulfilling the mission of Jesus. Guys, it is a church not of sameness, but oneness. A church that is different in parts, but is whole in unity. But not everybody trusts that. Not everybody believes that. I've actually heard people who say, you know what, I can grow in my faith and love of Jesus without the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. It hurt me. I don't need organized religion because, man, it has so many issues. So many issues. Guys, let's be honest, the church has issues. Like every single one. Our church has issues. The church down the street has issues. The church that you grew up in has issues. The church that you left has issues. The church has issues simply because it's made up of people who have issues. People who sin. People who hurt. People who make mistakes. And in fact, you know what? It has always been that way. It's always been like that, that when the church was started in the book of Acts, it was started by a bunch of guys who had just before this abandoned Jesus, guys that Jesus walked with but consistently had to correct and rebuke for getting things wrong or their lack of faith or their way of doing things being just wrong, who consistently didn't get his teachings, consistently didn't understand why Jesus did the things that he did, and yet those mess-ups... <laughs> Those mess-ups are the ones that Jesus used to start his church. Guys, the church was founded by mess-ups who are pursuing Jesus, and it's remained that way ever since. So let me help you. We're a church of mess-ups pursuing Jesus, and that's not going to change. It's your fault. I mean, you're the mess-ups too, right? So there you go. <laughs> 
And yet, in spite of all of that, Paul says, hey, we, we need each other. And he doesn't allow for the excuses of, of pain or individuality or weakness. In fact, the church isn't perfect, but it's necessary to grow closer to Jesus. No matter what somebody may have told you, no matter what you want to believe, the church is necessary to grow closer to Jesus. How do you know that? Because Jesus is the one who said that from the start. Because Jesus, who was on earth, surrounded himself with other people. Because when Jesus left, his closest followers, who knew him best, who he had given directives and poured into, didn't like go off into the woods to like chant and read and sing and have this individual uplifting experience. No, they went into rooms together to eat and pray and wait on what was next. They gathered together. Following Jesus isn't a solo sport that you can train and get better at on your own. In fact, being on your own is a tool that Satan loves to use. He wants you to think you're on your own. He wants to alienate you away from other people. He wants to take you away from those who can speak truth and encouragement and rebuke and love into your life. The reality is we go further spiritually when we have other people in our life who are being honest with us who will encourage us, who will add perspective and value and care for us that we would miss on our own. We need each other. Paul goes on in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Guys, there is so much here. There's so much here. We could spend weeks diving into some of this stuff here. One of the things I think is so important is we don't get a look down on our body because they're different. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the feet or the heads of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Guys, I am no more valuable because I have a microphone on my face right now. You are no more valuable because you can give more financially. In fact, Paul actually points out that the things that we view as less than or inconsequential are in fact indispensable. There are no unimportant members and there are no unimportant roles in the body of the church. So like, check this out. You're not just making coffee. You're not just running slides. You're not just praying together. You're not just opening a door. You are serving the body. You are building the body. You are making the body work in a way that it cannot function without you. There is incredible value and being able to offer a meal for a family that is grieving. There's incredible value in building a craft with a three-year-old in children's ministry. 
There's incredible value in opening up your home for a life group to meet. There is incredible value in cleaning out flower beds at this building or somebody else's house. There's value in sending cards and making a phone call or stopping by to see somebody who just might need some encouragement in their life. The beauty of the body of the church is that all of the big and small and well-known and lesser-known things that we do for one another is how we care for the body. It's how we grow the body. It's how we thrive and press on together. We all have things to contribute. And we all benefit by choosing to serve one another. Another thing that, that is... Uh, as, as the body of Christ, that we can, we can mourn together. We can actually mourn together here. Um, look here at verse uh, 26 and 27. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We get to mourn and rejoice together as a body of believers. In fact, I think one of the biggest principles and really, really a huge motivator for joining a life group, if you're not part of it, experiencing God, jump into one, it's gonna be great here. But one of the best things about a life group and what you need to recognize is that you need a life group before you need a life group. <laughs> what? That sounds ridiculous, right? That sounds ridiculous here. Uh, here's, let me put it this way. Both my dad and my brother sell insurance. Guess what we have a lot of at our house? Insurance, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, and we, we do that. Um, we have a lot more insurance policies than most people. First of all, Ashley and I uh, support and care about our family, and so we buy insurance. Uh, the second part of that is uh, I had some time in the insurance world, so like I know a little bit of the ins and outs of what's some good stuff to be able to have. Uh, about three years ago, I was complaining to my father about our house and all the things that were needed to be fixed or were getting old or whatever, like to update. And, and he said, hey, uh, there's actually this brand new insurance policy, right? Oh, here we go, right? And uh, he told me it was all about when your things that are attached to your house have this mechanical breakdown, didn't used to be covered, but now with this special endorsement, it can be. And I'm like, I don't want more insurance, right? Easy there, Siri. All right, so... <laughs> Right in my ear. But I, he had me buying more insurance. You know what? I, I trust you. Fine. We're going to do what you want to do. I will buy this endorsement. We will make it happen however it goes. I don't really want to do it. It's like 80 bucks a year. Fine. Okay. Boom. Bought it. Mechanical breakdown endorsement. Yay me. My wife's going to be mad later. Uh, about a year later, it goes on. It's now 2020. And I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, you do. Okay, cool. That was a crazy year. Um, and in the summer of 2020, our air conditioning broke. And I don't know, there's like a whole supply and demand thing going on for some reason around that time. The economy's getting weird. People aren't going to work, not making money. Now I have an air conditioner to replace. Ugh, right? Not a happy day. Not a happy day. It's 90-some degrees. I got a little one. House is getting hot, and it clicks. I bought an insurance endorsement. Hold on a second, right? So I make that happy little phone call and I find out that it's gonna be covered. That it's covered, that there is something I could do with money I did not have because I trusted in this endorsement, because I trusted in what was given to me before. I did a little happy dance because we saved thousands of dollars and our house got cool at the same time. Guys, life groups work in a similar fashion. Something in your life is going to break down. You're going to have an unexpected job loss. 
There's going to be a poor diagnosis. There's going to be a relational wound or, or whatever else is going to happen at some point in time in your life. It's part of living in a broken world that we have all been affected by hardship. Sin exists, so life is hard. It's just the reality of how it is. And here's the thing. When that loss occurs, it is too late to start getting relational equity from your life group. You can't say my life is in shambles and now I need people. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to invest in that relationship and build trust and care before the storms start to show up in your life. I couldn't retroactively buy an insurance policy that says, hey, I meant to buy this a year ago, but can you pay for this anyway? They just said, very funny, walk away, right? It doesn't work that way. You can't create relationship when the time gets tough. You have to invest in those relationships beforehand. See, the beauty of the body of Christ is that when we have invested and trusted and played our role in the body, then we can suffer and rejoice together. You can have people who are going to cover your wounds. You can have people who are going to be there when you get attacked or beaten up by life. You can have people who are going to bake a cake and celebrate when you have a new baby. You have people who can come and sit and cry next to you when you go through loss. You have people who are going to pick up the slack when you just can't handle things right now. It's the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ. You need a life group before you need a life group. You need people who will rejoice and who will mourn with you. See, I told you earlier that my dad had months of recovery and years of physical therapy and, and battles with depression and anxiety that all started with his shoulder surgery. Uh, today, he has some mobility back in his arm. He can lift it up about halfway for a little while um, in there, which makes changing light bulbs and things very frustrating. <laughs> the muscles in the front and the back of his shoulder were both cut and then atrophied and all sorts of issues. It's limited what he can do. In fact, the reason that he can lift his arm at all is not because of the muscles that you and I use to do this. In fact, he took two and a half years of physical therapy because those muscles wouldn't work. And in those two and a half years, he taught the muscles around them how to lift his shoulder. If you do this right now, you have two muscles that are engaging right here. Those muscles don't work on him. But every muscle around that part is compensating and lifting his arm up to give him some sort of mobility that he would have never had before. Because it is amazing how the human body can adjust and compensate. Now here's the thing, in a similar way, the body of church adjusted and compensated just as well in his life. The beautiful thing is that when my dad was recovering and battling through pain and depression and anxiety, the church around him stepped up. People were dropping off food. People were helping with small tasks. There was a couple that text him every single day, every single day for two and a half years. They knew what his physical therapy was. They sent him a text message beforehand that would be, hey, I love you. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I saw this verse, whatever it was. And they knew he wasn't always gonna respond. They knew he had hard days. They knew he had good days. But for two and a half years, they sent him a text message every single day. And people would stop by and they'd just sit with him in those moments when he had to just sit in a chair with an ice pack on his shoulder because he couldn't get up, he couldn't move. I was amazed at watching the church and when I say the church, it was the people, not the staff. The church came alongside and they lifted him up when he wasn't able to be lifted by himself. 
most of those relationships he had invested in years ahead of time. And basically all of them were people that were connected in his church. And now he uses that experience to help others in the church as well. He is heightenedly aware of when people have surgeries or procedures or struggles with mental health or pain or therapy or whatever it, be, it may be. And so he, he reaches out and he encourages and he talks to and he is so aware of all of those situations. In fact, Romans 12.10, I think, puts it this way. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And a huge part of what makes the church the church is love and honor. We pointed out beforehand that the church is full of messy people, people who have made bad choices, people who are recovering from issues, people who need a boost. In fact, if you were to look around this room or life group later, you look around that room, you're going to recognize it's messy, and you're going to recognize that you're a part of the mess. Here's my encouragement. Get messy. Get messy. Bring love and honor into the mess. See, my backyard neighbor recently redid his pool. Uh, we moved in there about six years ago, and every summer he would come over to the end of our house and say, hey, I'm having a pool party. I'm getting my pool fixed. For six years, right? And I was like, oh, no, you're not. You're uh, lying, but I love you anyway, man, because Jesus told me to. So uh, he came to us again this year and said, hey, I'm getting my pool fixed. And uh, I didn't roll my eyes, but I said, oh, okay, cool, man. Yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll have something. He did it this year, guys. He actually got his pool redone. And it was incredible because I have a little three-year-old whose like, nose was pressed against our sliding door every morning, watching them tear down trees and like rip up grass and take the old pool out. And they had these massive, massive mounds of dirt that they brought in. My neighbor was actually not thrilled with all that was happening in his backyard. But I remember sitting in my office one day and I get a FaceTime video and I open it up and it's uh, my three-year-old and she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, can you ask our neighbor if we can have some dirt? <laughs> Why do you want dirt? I'm gonna make some mud, right? And you're like, oh no, this is gonna be a day, isn't it? Uh, so I did it, I'm a good dad. So I texted my neighbor and I said, hey man, weird thing, can I borrow some dirt? My three-year-old wants to have a mud day. He thought it was hilarious, and so he's like, please, take all of the dirt, because I want to see how this plays out. Um, so we did. We took a ton of dirt. We had kiddie pools and water tables and pots and pans and like a, a tarp that you could slide through the mud all on our patio in our backyard. Like Our family was caked in mud from head to toe. And if I'm being honest with you guys, I don't really like mud. <laughs> I'm not a big fan here at all. I don't love the fact that I've got to like take wheelbarrows and big buckets back and forth between my yard of dirt and that afterwards every little Barbie doll needs to be hosed down to get mud out of their hair, right? Like I don't love doing those things. It was actually work for me, but I love my girls and I love the fun ideas that their mother puts inside of their heads, right? I love being with them. I love the smiles and the laughing and the creativity and the memories. So the mess is worth it. Because what comes out on the other side is so, so good. Y'all get messy with the church. Get messy with your life group. Get messy with other people. Like bring love and honor in such a way that, man, you just got to like hose your hands and feet off afterwards because you're dirty. 
It's messy. And while you're at it, you know what? Help other people get clean too. It's gonna take some work. It may get a little uncomfortable. In fact, it's probably gonna get a lot uncomfortable. But what you get on the other side, so, so good. You find healing. You find grace and compassion and joy. And you find out what it means to be the church. And as the body of the church, man, we should be recognized by the way that we treat one another. That to love with brotherly affection means that we care on a relational level that is just different than what the rest of the world gives. The world loves mud, but just to toss it at one another. You know, the church should love mud too, so much so that we're willing to get dirty and help clean up. There are people in your life who can't lift their arms anymore. And they feel alone and they feel dirty. Get messy. Be the church. Bring all the love and honor you have because no part of the body of the church is too small or too insignificant. We are one body with many parts and we are designed to elevate and to care for one another. Go be the body. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are a master designer. What you create for us physically, what you create for us spiritually, what you create for us relationally, individual but one. Jesus, help us Help us to open our eyes, to help us to open our hands and our hearts, Father, that we would be willing to do the things that you have put before us to do. And it gets so messy doing it. To love neighbors, to love family, to love our life group, to love complete strangers, and to honor them in ways that you've equipped us and poured into us to do. Thanks for loving and designing us, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.